the Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for a special Resurrection Sunday message from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 27, with Pastor John King. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Today, we're going to be in Luke 24. We will cover all of, no, not all of Luke 24. We will do 1 through 27. That's what we're going to be reading through. 1 through 27. So on behalf of our congregation, we want to welcome each of our guests and visitors today. Some of you, this, you know, we don't get to see you very often. Uh, but we thank you for joining our Easter Sunday celebration. And uh, for those joining us online, uh, if you listen to the message later. Uh, but let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we again thank you for our time together, Lord, our fellowship. We have been granted... Uh, this whole day, really, just to be uh, set aside prayerfully and hopefully that we will be able to consider all the great work that you've done, the fact that uh, our faith rests solely and entirely on the resurrection and the truth that you proclaim and the promises of your word. And so, Lord, uh, teach us today to have a new and a fresh appreciation for the life that we share in Jesus. And once again, uh, Lord, just speak to our hearts as only you can. So we ask that you do this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You know, I asked this question a couple years ago, beginning on an on a Easter Sunday, and, um, you know, the, the question goes like this. Given the fact that we live on a planet with a population now of nearly 7.9 billion people, of which approximately 2.3 billion have a religious identification with Christianity that covers all the Protestant and Eastern Orthodox and Catholicism. Why is it? Why is it that nearly one-third of the world's population would gather, if possible, and make the effort to take the time to gather in local churches, fellowships, or small groups around the world today and over the past week to worship and to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of a 30-something-year-old itinerant carpenter named Jesus of Nazareth, who lived nearly 2,000 years ago in a nation the size of New Jersey. Why, why is it that people will do this and continue to do this time and time again? And the answer is because the story presented to us in the Bible hasn't changed. You know, we live in a changing world, and we don't do good with change, right? <laughs> but the Bible story is still the same. There's no updates. There's Some maybe have tried. There are no revisions. There are no modifications that would change or alter the original writings. And this great story still contains what? The most important information that mankind truly needs. We live in the information age, right? Information comes at us in all forms and fashions now. Knowing that we can't judge a book by its cover, we've got to know that the, the contents are what matters, and that's what we're going to do in the Bible. But first, let me remind you that you and I were created in the image and likeness of God, and that Almighty God intends that we should have eternal fellowship with Him. That's a clear fact, clearly spoken in the Scriptures. There's only one problem, and it's a big problem. Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve into the Garden of Eden thousands of years ago, and this resulted in spiritual and physical death because they believed the lie of the serpent, and of course they ate the forbidden fruit. That was the only restriction that God had placed on them. So now, because of their original sin, every human being born, as cute as they may be, and there are cute little babies out there all over the place, every human being born to this very day inherits the same sin nature. And the main reason we know this is true is because of death. Death tells us that sin entered the world. Everyone dies, be it disease or illness, by accident or by tragedy. But God, God would not let mankind out of his eternal plan. He provided a path to reconciliation and redemption in such a way that his holy nature could not be violated. A way to satisfy the just penalty of sin and his holy wrath against it, while at the same time 
providing a path to having our relationship with him restored. Not through religious works, not through good deeds. None of those could possibly bridge the gap. Only God could make this happen. We sang that song earlier from John 3.16. It said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the title of today's message is, you know, still the same hope. It's still the same hope that we have maybe taken, put it on a back seat. Maybe we've forgotten it. And a few minutes ago, I said that this is a great story because of the contents that are found in the Bible. And I present it to you this way for two reasons. Many of us have heard the story over and over and over again. And we've allowed ourselves to get complacent. Maybe the story has its, lost its effect on our calling as Christians. Maybe it's uh, hindered our ability to live out our faith with boldness and purpose by telling others about Jesus and serving him faithfully. And for those of us who teach the word of God, we might be tempted to try and spice it up or alter it to please others. The second reason I present it to you this way as still being the same hope is because there may be some of you who have come to give this church thing one more try. You know, maybe you've been on a journey away from the Lord. Whatever your past, whatever your situation is, again, if you're listening online, maybe you've, maybe you've attended, decided to attend a church service this Sunday, as many do. But for whatever reason, you've left your first love and God has brought you here today to see if it's real once again. You're not alone, because it's still the same great story. But how do we know God loved the world? Well, we've been through the Passion Week. If you've been studying and reading and just kind of seeing maybe some movies and, and reading your Bible and doing your devotionals, special devotionals for Easter or Passion Week, Holy Week, we know he loved the world because he took on flesh and he lived a sinless life. Jesus of Nazareth, who bore the stripes of the flagellum, who was hung on a cross and died a criminal's death. As an innocent lamb becoming a sacrifice for our sins. But not just a famous martyr for a noble cause, not just a footnote in history. No, my friends, sin had separated mankind for centuries and it was finally paid in full. The holy wrath of God was satisfied through the shed blood of the Son. And the door of redemption was made available to all who would place their trust in the finished work of Jesus. And so now his story takes us to the empty tomb. The third day after his crucifixion, nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was raised to life. He is risen. I'm finally to verse 1. Sorry. That was supposed to be a joke. Luke 24, verses 1 through 8. says, Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, verse 7, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Again, this was very early. If you were here early for our, uh, our first light service this morning, we ended up having to come inside. So for those of you who didn't, weren't sure if we were going to make you stand outside in the wind and cold, uh, there's people here that can testify that that's not what we did. But they came very early at daybreak or dawn. John 21 says it was while it was still dark out. And they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Well, who are they? 
Well, verse 10 tells us it was Mary Magdalene, it was Joanna, it was Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them. They were bringing the spices which they had prepared. Why were they bringing spices? Well, remember, it was a hasty burial. Joseph of Arimathea had about two and a half hours once he was given permission by Pilate to take Jesus' body off of the cross. And he had to get Jesus' body in the tomb before the Sabbath began. So he was under a lot of pressure to take Jesus. You, know, you can imagine having to take our Lord's body down, pry the nails out of the, out of the cross, pry the nails out of his feet and his hands. He may have had help from Nicodemus, some would say. And they had to place him in the tomb before 6 p.m. So he wasn't fully you know, prepared for burial. That's one reason why they brought the spices. But we read an interesting uh, note from Luke 23, verses 55 and 56. While Jesus was being taken down from the cross, it says, And the woman who came with him, Jesus, from Galilee, followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. And then they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So for the whole, all of Saturday, they couldn't do any work. It was the Sabbath day. So they get there early in the morning, verses 2 and 3, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Rolled away, apocalio, to roll off. All four Gospels contain this detail. And this word was used in the Gospels to refer to the stone that was placed in front of the tomb. Typically, it would be placed in a track, and the track would be on an incline, an earthen track. And this very heavy stone would be rolled in front, and so gravity would hold it down in front of the entrance to the tomb. A little bit similar to that, only below ground. One writer says, one historian says, for a small grave, a large stone could require up to 20 people to move it. And so these ladies were getting there, and they're on their way to, um, you know, bring the spices to Jesus' gravesite, to his tomb. And then they noticed the heavy stone was rolled away. In fact, the tomb was rolled, the stone was rolled away, and that allowed them to go straight into the tomb. And when they went in, they found that there was a missing body. It says, then they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So again, you've got two problems right away. First off, who moved the stone? And where's the Lord's body? Because we saw them place it in that tomb. And so you would see in verse 4, it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, these two problems, moving of the stone and the fact that Jesus' body had been taken away in their minds, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Two men in shining garments. Those are angels. Those are God's messengers. Not just shining garments. The word shining means dazzling brightness like lightning, like the brightest star. And they were in the form of men. God's messengers, angels in human form, when they, are, when they come and they're seen in human form, they always come as men. And then they were afraid and they bowed their faces, the, the women, where they bowed their faces to the earth and they said to them, now the angels have a word to say to them. And as I mentioned this morning, oftentimes when angels see us falling flat on our face because they can understand why we'd be intimidated and why we'd be scared, they would often reassure us that, they're, you know, that everything's okay. You know, don't worship me. I am, I am not uh, somebody to be afraid of. I'm God's messenger. But they had uh, something else to say to the women. They said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? This was uh, sort of like a mild rebuke. And the reason is because uh, angels hear the same message you and I hear. They hear a lot more, but they hear the same message that you and I hear. They are constantly observing us. And, and they're amazed by our faith. They're amazed by our faithfulness. But they know exactly what God's word says. And they know that we know what God's word says. And so when we don't pay attention to God's word, 
it causes them to ask questions like, why do you seek the living among the dead? They knew that Jesus would be betrayed, tortured, crucified, and resurrected. They knew that this was going to happen because Jesus said it over and over again. The angels knew it. One writer put it this way. He said, the angels' questions, question made a point. The living are not to be found among the dead. We should not expect spiritual life among those who do not have it. Many look for Jesus in dead things. Religious traditionalism, formalism, man's rules, human effort, and ingenuity. We find Jesus only where there is resurrection life, where he is worshipped in spirit and truth. That's where you find Jesus. Not among the dead. And so they, they declared it once again in verse 6. They declared it as it had been said many times. He is not here, but is risen. And then they said, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. You know, let's, let's review <laughs> the recent history about what's been going on. To be risen means to be aroused from the sleep of death, to recall the dead to life. And this was a message directly from heaven, just as this word, the Bible, is a message directly from heaven. And he said, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Three times prior in Luke's gospel, Jesus would say the following, uh, verse 7, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus into the hands of the high priest. He was crucified. He was driven down with stakes onto the cross. But on the third day, anestomai, he rose from the dead. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. Yep. Verse 8, and then the light came on and they remembered his words. Don't you, don't you love it when the light comes on? You might be saying, I'm still waiting, John. Okay. So don't blame me. Oh, wow. That, that's right. He's been saying this all along. You know, after he counseled, now you look back at Luke and he, remember he counseled the rich young ruler about leaving his riches behind and following Jesus, right? And he, he walked away sad because he didn't want to do that. You know, he got the sads over that whole thing. Then Jesus took his disciples aside and he told them of his coming suffering. And after he told them that for the third or fourth time or however many times it was, uh, we read in Luke 18.34, it says, But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. You know, sometimes with us, we hear something, we hear words, they come in, and they go right out, right? You can hear words, but that doesn't mean you have understanding. And when it comes to matters of faith, it can be even more dangerous, Right? The words that Jesus spoke concerning his coming betrayal, his crucifixion, and his resurrection were simple enough for anyone to understand, but their ability to comprehend that these words were meant to be taken literally was limited by their own lack of faith. Thank you, Bob. Their own lack of faith in God's word and their desire to see Jesus in their own image of a conquering king. In other words, they, like you and I, were being idolatrous. They were trying to create a God in their own image. That's the first commandment that they were breaking, in God's commandments. But now the women had come to realize that there was a fresh hope coming into view. If all that Jesus spoke regarding his suffering and death was true, then his promise of resurrection was true also. You know, when we take... God at his word. We have to take all of his word. That's why we teach the whole Bible here. That's why we go through all of God's counsel, even through the Old Testament. Because we don't want to camp out on our favorite places and our favorite things. Because you become, what can happen to you has been described, you know, think of, if you only go for prophecy, or you only go for, you know, um, praise and psalms or whatever, if, you, if, if that's all you're going to read in the Bible, uh, or if you're only going to study apologetics and, and all that. Uh, one, one guy put it this way. It's, it's like if you're a weightlifter and all you do is work on your forearms, you know, and then you, you build up your arms, you look like Popeye, okay? 
And you can be that way spiritually. You can be spiritually unbalanced by just being in little pieces of your favorite places of the Bible. And we want to, we want to cover all of God's word. We want to be balanced and healthy. So when we think about these things, this is, you know, uh, people are either going to come to Easter once a year or they're going to not come ever. And one of the reasons is they're going to jump on conspiracy theories or they're going to jump on, you know, these skepticals, these the, uh, skepticism, this age-old skepticism, which began right at the very beginning. There were all kinds of conspiracies going on about maybe his body was stolen, blah, blah, blah. And so I put together this little section so that maybe you and I can be just reminded very quickly what we believe and answer maybe a few questions. Like, first of all, how was the heavy stone rolled away? And right there in Matthew 28 too, it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. That, that's exactly what happened. That's what the Bible records. That's exactly what happened. The angel came from heaven and he opened it and he had supernatural strength, okay? He rolled that heavy stone away. You might say, well, what about the guards? You know, the guards were there. Uh, he sent a cohort of, of, of Roman soldiers. They would have been on pain of death if they failed in their mission. How did they uh, get past? What about the guards? Matthew 28, 3 and 4. His angel's countenance, this angel that came down to move the the, the tombstone was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. Remember dazzling brightness? And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They were shaken in their sandals, folks. You could see it happening. So how did they, how, how did, you know, they not stop people coming in the tomb? Because they passed out. What about who arrived at the tomb first? Uh, Ray Comfort puts this way, when the women arrived at the edge of the garden, they all looked and saw that the stone had been rolled back from the tomb. But Mary Magdalene, the one who had been delivered from demons by Jesus, Mary Magdalene concluded that the body had been stolen and she ran back to Peter and John in Jerusalem. John 22. But the other women continued to the tomb and went inside where they encountered the angels. You just put the gospel story, you put it all together in harmony, and you can see it makes perfect sense. And then, what happened to the body of Jesus? You know, that, that's, that, cons that conspiracy even lives to this day. What happened to the body of Jesus? Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that the angels declared, He is risen. So we've heard that. And so, then we look at John's gospel, though, and that kind of settles it. It says in John's gospel, that Mary Magdalene was standing outside the tomb and she was weeping. And then she looks in and she sees the two angels sitting on Jesus' burial spot, you know, one on either side, on either end of the stone. And they look at her and they ask her, why are you weeping? And she answers, John 20, 13, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Then she had the honor of being the first person to lay eyes on the risen Savior. We see in John 20, verses 14 through 16. It says, Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Then Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. You see, she recognized his voice. She recognized him right away as a risen Lord. But we need to be reminded, folks, of something very important, very important. And that is, if Christ was not raised from the dead, what if? Well, the fact is that our faith is in vain. Our faith would be in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19, Paul said it best. He said, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Next, we see in Luke 24, 9 through 12, that the news is spreading, spreading like wildfire. It says, then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. 
It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. You won't read very often in the Bible at all of, a, of an apostle or a Hebrew man running anywhere. And he ran to the tomb. He stooped down and he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So they went from the tomb in verse 9. Uh, they went to the 11 because of Judas's betrayal. And his death, he was no, they were no longer the twelve. Judas, we know, was later replaced by Matthias in Acts 1. And it was the, the same group of ladies we talked about in verse 10. And they told these things to the apostles. The vital role... Now, now we, if you know history and you know historical context, you know, especially about what we're getting ready to say in verse 11... You know that in the ancient world, women were not held in very high regard in society. It would have been very rare for a woman to have any credibility in legal matters for, and such. And here we see, you know, in the gospel message, the vital role of women in Jesus' ministry, right here on display. They were the first ones to make this announcement. They were the ones that were given the honor of telling others and they were the first one, Mary Magdalene, to see Jesus. But it says in verse 11 that their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. In other words, to them it was like nonsense. And again, you can see, you know, the same rebuke from the angels to the women would come to these apostles. Like, what are you talking about? You walk with Jesus for three years and you don't believe the fact that he's risen again? That would have been the question that the angels would have asked God's messengers. That's what the question you and I would ask. But they did not believe them. This was because of societal prejudice and cultural norms. Uh, one commentator writes this. He said, he or she, a woman's testimony carried little, if any, official or legal value in the first century. They actually saw Christ first as the best explanation for Scripture's testimony to the historicity of the event. In other words, the writers of the Gospels, if they were seeking credibility with the society of that day, they would not have used the testimony of women. For any skeptics who choose to hold the Bible in disbelief, there's another example. What Luke is preventing, presenting is a faithful account of exactly what happened, not trying to gloss it over to make it sell. And that's the thing. We're not trying to sell anything. God's not trying to sell anything with this, this word of his. It's the truth. It's the only truth there is if you think about it. You could argue that. But sometimes you think you, got, you can have to look high and low to find any writings today that aren't biased. Because they're written by humans. But this book of ours, the Bible, was inspired by God himself. But notice in verse 12, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. Now Peter, knowing Peter, right, you could say that he might have been embarrassed that he wasn't the one to make the discovery. That would be a fair thing to say. The linen clothes were lying by themselves. If somebody came to steal a body, would they have taken the time to place the clothes, in fact, place the handkerchief, the kerchief on Jesus' head and fold it neatly, as John describes, and set it off to the side? And the answer is no. You wouldn't place the clothing in a neat little pile. You would take everything. Now, John's gospel explains that after Mary Magdalene made her announcement to Peter and John, that both Peter and John ran together and John beat Peter. John outran him. I, I never could convince my dad, whose name was Peter, no, anyway, so, that I should be. The only reason John could outrun him is because he was younger. But they looked inside and saw the linen clothing, but he didn't enter the tomb. Look at it in John 20, verses 6 through 10. Then, Peter, then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, that's John, 
went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. I mean, are you serious? They didn't know the scripture? They didn't know the fact that Jesus had been telling us over and over again? No, they only believed what they wanted to believe. And then it says, he says they went away into their own homes. But in our text today, notice that Peter, and he departed, marveling to himself what had happened. Peter wondered, like, like this is crazy, okay? This is insane. You know, he's, he's probably thinking to himself, this is really happening. He acknowledges the facts, but you know what? He didn't seem any wiser, did he? I mean, we can say, oh, wow, check that out. And if it has wisdom in it, we can also, we can just kind of, it may not make us or change us one bit. And here he saw Jesus, but he didn't seem any wiser. We know that from following the story. As you go through the Gospels, you'll see that it's going to take a while for them all to catch on and for them all to believe. So the initial reaction to the miracle of Jesus' resurrection is what we've been talking about. The, the women were rebuked by the angels. The women were said, hey, why do you seek, the, uh, the angels said, why do you seek the living among the dead? They had they'd come prepared to see a body instead of rejoicing over the promise of his resurrection. But the second reaction by the apostles, honestly, folks, they seemed so foolish in their unbelief. Having spent the better part of three years with Jesus and seeing and even participating in his wondrous works. But we don't want to be too hard on them, do we? We don't want to be too hard on the, on the apostles. Because how often do you and I display the same kind of unbelief? Concerning the things of God, how often are we like Peter in failing to see the significance of something right before our eyes? We let our circumstances of life blind us to the hope that lies within us and the promises of his word. And you can tell that Peter later on when he wrote his, his letters in 1 Peter 1.3, you can tell that Peter had matured in his faith. He matured past this sense of unbelief. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That was his testimony. That's what he wrote when he finally understood that. Like, that could be your life verse. It's one of mine for sure. Matthew Henry wrote, he said, concerning Peter's reaction, his initial reaction, he said, oh, he had remembered the words of Christ. Even this was enough to satisfy him that he was risen from the dead. But having forgotten them, he is only amazed with the thing and knows not what to make of it. There is many a thing puzzling and perplexing to us, to us which would be both plain and profitable if we did but rightly understand the words of Christ and had them ready to us. One of the important things about Scripture memory, because when things start to go crazy in our life and start to go haywire, it's those Scripture verses that we put in our hearts and minds that we lean on because otherwise we're at a loss. And so thankfully, Peter did learn his lesson. A famous verse in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's a good memory verse too. And on to our next section, our final section. These are the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. The Emmaus Walk. You've heard of the famous Emmaus Walk. And I'm not going to read through the whole entire passage. I'm just going to go line by line. Verse 13. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Now the same day. Uh, this is uh, still Resurrection Sunday. Okay, the word's been presented uh, the ladies have gone, they've told the apostles, you know, there's all of we, a lot of what we just talked about. And now you have two of uh, Jesus' disciples leaving Jerusalem and heading to a place called Emmaus. 
heading home from the Passover feast, even though the Passover feast would continue into the following week. And in verse 14, it says, they talked together of all these things which had happened, especially the last 72 hours, because this was the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. And verse 15, so it was while they conversed and reasoned, in other words, they were examining the events. You know, it's like a road trip, only on their feet. <laughs> Let's talk about this. This is crazy what we've been seeing, you know, what we've experienced. It says that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Jesus in the flesh. He joined them. Now this is a very sobering thought, right? Because Jesus' presence is always with us. It says here for, in Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So the Lord is, is hearing me speak his word, and he's, he's watching you and, and your reaction to his word. He's with us, okay? He's among us. It should be sobering. But in verse 16, it says, But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. In other words, their eyes were kind of held in check for a period. They didn't know him, or they didn't recognize him. As far as they knew, he was just another traveler, Mark 16, 12 says, After that, while they were walking, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. In other words, he, he was sort of incognito to them. And perhaps in a supernatural sense. And so he walks up, verse 17, and he says to them, What kind of conversation is it that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Now you know Jesus is going to have a little fun with this. And he says, well, what kind of conversation? I mean, like, why are you sad? So it's obvious that the gloom and doom look on their faces. You know, he could see that they had a problem. And of course, he knew what they were talking about. And then one of them decides he's going to explain things to Jesus, Cleopas. And he answers and he says, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? <laughs> a little bit of sarcasm. And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And of course, Jesus is playing along and he says, what things? <laughs> you see, I am convinced that the Lord has a sense of humor. I know he does. And they said, well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. Now notice they relegate Jesus to the status of a prophet, but not the exalted Son of God. So they've already started to, you know, backslide a little bit. Fall away, whatever you want, however you want to say it. And then they go on in verse 20, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. It was public knowledge, everything that had just taken place. It was not secret to anyone. It was a very public uh, execution. He was marched through the streets of Jerusalem, mocked along the way. There was a great earthquake. The, you know, all the things that happened. Dead people were walking around. The curtain in the temple to the Holy of Holies was rent in half. The sky turned dark. Nobody could mistake what was happening. Something happened. Verse 21, But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. You see, this highlights the fact that I've been saying for the last two Sundays, is that they had created a, a Messiah in their own image, the one that they wanted, the one who would come back and who would take charge politically, because they knew he had the power to do that. They knew that he could raise the dead. He had supernatural power. He had control over the elements. Nothing could stop him for what he wanted to do. And they were hoping and trusting that he was the one, he was the guy that was going to come and take over and set things straight right then and there. That he was going to redeem Israel as their Messiah, the text says. Luke 2.25, earlier in this gospel, he writes, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, and he was what? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So from early on, the atmosphere, the spiritual atmosphere in Jesus' day 
was ripe for a supernatural return of the Messiah and known as the consolation of Israel. This is what they believed. Now to redeem means to pay a ransom price, often in the sense of freeing a slave. As believers, we know redemption means freedom from the slavery of sin and death. The price that was paid on the cross. And so they're saying this. They were hoping that this Messiah would redeem Israel. And they said also, indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. So if they, if they were going to believe in a resurrection by the third or fourth day, they would know that in three or four days, a body starts to decay. Three days also was ample time for the news to circulate around. You know, maybe too they remembered that Jesus had set a timer for his resurrection. He said he would rise in three days. And then they went on and, and they repeated what the women had told them. Verse 22, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. They were astonished. They were amazed yet here again by what they're saying, the difference between faith and astonishment. The difference between faith and astonishment. Astonishment could be an emotional experience. Faith is something that will take us through all the ups and downs of life. And verse 23, when they did not find his body, they came saying that he had also seen a vision of angels, or they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So again, the stone was rolled away, the body was missing, the angels testified to the fact that he was alive, and these guys didn't believe it. They were astonished, they were amazed, and some of them verified that indeed the body was gone. And they say that in verse 24, certain of these women who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, so they verified it by eyewitnesses. So for those who want to be skeptical and say, wait a minute, you know, that never happened. Look, you hear, here you have first century eyewitnesses. And if you know your Bible, you'll know that for the next 40 days, you know, hundreds of people would see the risen Lord and Savior walking around, even eating food before he ascended into heaven. Verse 25, now Jesus decides, you know, the, the game is over, okay? He, he's, not, he's no longer playing, uh, playing along with them. And in verse 25, he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So Jesus here re responds to their spiritual dullness. Slow of heart, for you medical types, that's Brady's cardio, okay? When somebody takes your pulse and it's way really low. Slow of heart, though, in this case, they were slow of heart to believe. They were very slow to trust and to place reliance on, even on God's messengers and their words. The supernatural occurrence, and you see it today over and over again, you can bring people the truth of the scriptures and they're slow to receive it. And so Jesus begins what we call a, a, just a, a Bible study. He says, in all that the prophets, he says, you're slow to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You see, they should have been aware of this and believed that they were good Jews, good Hebrews, people of the book. And he says in verse 26, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Isaiah 53, 5. This is something that they, this was in their scriptures. And either the rabbis hadn't told them or they decided not to read them. That's one of the reasons why we teach the whole Bible, right? It says in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. So he says, ought not the Christ, the Messiah, to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? That's what he has to do first. And Jesus explains that to them. Only after suffering and death would glory be achieved. And this would be a glory entered after, de after death, not a glory established on earth. Verse 27. I know, I'm sorry, I'm going to run a little bit long. Are you Shiloh? <laughs> We're going we're gonna to cut it short. Uh, 
And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What an amazing time that would have been. Jesus would have began with the first five books of the Old Testament. He would have gone on to speak of all the prophets in the Old Testament. And he says he expounded to them in all the scriptures of the things concerning himself, which is the whole Bible. To unfold the meaning of what is said, all the scriptures, the remainder, concerning himself. Why? So their eyes would be open. Now, we're not going to go into the whole story, but we know if you read on in this chapter, and I'd encourage you to do that, pick it up at verse 28, you'll notice that Jesus brought this truth to them so that their eyes would be open, and indeed they were. But it's hard for you and I to walk away from this without asking some really important questions. First of all, Jesus referred to the two Emmaus companions as foolish ones. They were being foolish. Why? Because they had not taken the time to put two and two together. The Old Testament scriptures all point to Jesus, and they had walked with him for three years. How long have you and I been walking with the Lord? And we still... You know, we stumble and we forget and we decide we just, we're, we're plainly uh, missing the connection that he has for us in his teachings. Notice he said that they were also slow of heart to believe. Why? Because they'd rather debate. They had a very active conversation going on. And this is where we get into this all the time in our day. They, they would rather debate on an intellectual level the problems they saw and the reasons why Jesus didn't live up to their expectations. And their disappointment led to a lack of trust. And that could be a slippery slope for each of us. We need to be real careful what we take in. So the same description might easily refer to my faith journey and your faith journey. And the question is, am I taking responsibility for my spiritual growth? Am I taking personal responsibility? When we read about Jesus giving them this incredible Bible study, maybe we wish that he would have recorded it. You know, It would have been nice to have heard that sermon so that we could come back to it. But that would have been like taking a shortcut, wouldn't it? Because the Lord expects us to read his word for ourselves and to walk in it. Amen? This is known as obedience. And if you're looking for application, there it is right there. At the beginning of our message today, we talked about how sin separates mankind from being made right or reconciled with God. But we are reminded that God has made a way for us to be in a right relationship with Him. Not by works or religion, but through the cross at Calvary where Jesus paid our fine. The question for you and I, folks, is how will you respond? If you're listening to this message, you know that you can be set free from the guilt and penalty of your sin. You can be assured of having eternal life in heaven. Or you can respond by ignoring his invitation. No response is a response. Choosing instead to believe the lies of the devil, the world, and all of its empty promises, and loving your sin instead. Living for pleasure and prestige, or by simply relying on your good deeds and your religion. The Bible says that if you reject Jesus, you can be assured of eternal death, eternal punishment, and separation from God in hell. You see, you read John chapter 3, 316, God so loved the world. Verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So maybe you're at a starting point. Maybe you're ready to place your trust in Jesus today. Well, there's some things, you know, and, and you, you can say, well, I'm already saved. You don't need to tell me all this. You can skip that. But what if you need to tell somebody else how they can get right with God? Some things that, that you could write down, maybe if you're taking notes. First of all, you need to recognize your guilt before God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one apart from Jesus himself has been able to keep his commandments. 
So recognize your guilt before God. Next, you need to recognize the penalty of sin. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So recognize your guilt before God, recognize the penalty of sin, and then receive the good news. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then, repent of your sin and believe. You can take it that far. You can come uh, you know, to a rally at some big stadium or you can do it in your youth group and you can get your pastor to make you come up and raise your hand and pray a prayer and mark that down and go live a life however you want. That happens all, over, all the time in our society. Because you need to repent of your sin and believe. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the most important words anyone could ever say, Romans 10.9, says that if you confess your mouth, with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the next thing you need to do after that is now walk in obedience. Show your gratitude to God. Read his word every day and grow in his grace. Amen? Amen. Right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... Resurrection Sunday, Lord, we thank you for the reminder, Lord, that we so need it. I pray that, you know, I know I need it, and I, know I needed to be reminded of the living hope that we have in you. And I can bet that many of us here needed that reminder too. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can rejoice and with confidence and with boldness declare your, your goodness. And to be able to declare to the world and to everyone around us that Jesus is Lord and that he is risen from the dead. We can sing hallelujah to that. So Lord, we ask that you go before us now as we conclude our service today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.